moved all the stuff out of the trunk and the dog into the RV, and then we drove it off the lot only for me to get it high-centered and stuck in the driveway of the spot where I bought the RV. I've owned the thing for like 10 minutes now. I have to go back into the owner of the shop and be like, hey, I got the RV that you just sold me that I just signed the paperwork and had the cash over for like not even 10 minutes ago. Hey, I got stuck in your driveway and I can't move. Literally the front bumper is on, on the road and the back bumper is on their driveway and the wheels are just dangling. And he comes out, he's like, oh, we can fix that. I got a forklift. We'll just lift the back tires with the forklift and we'll be good. So he comes out there, he attaches a strap to the back bumper and lifts the back of it up, rolls the front tires into the little dip and takes the back tires back. And then you hear a crunch 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 happy easter to those who celebrate and welcome back to drive with us podcast a podcast where we explore driving cultures around the world by bringing on a new guest each episode to talk about the crazy things they've experienced on the road who they are as drivers and how they became the driver they are today i'm bavneet and i'm taranjeet and happy national siblings day which is on the 10th so not yet, but almost there. <laughs> Happy Almost National Siblings Day! Woo! Woo! <laughs> I didn't know this was actually a thing, but I sure got the best sibling in the world. This one. She means this one. Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> this one, that one. <laughs> this one, that one. Yeah, this sibling over here. Or that. You can't see me pointing, but yeah. <laughs> I vocally uh, confirmed. Yes. I thought you were going to say, oh, me too, but I guess not. I guess I'm not your favorite sibling. Oh, me too. (laughs) You're welcome. Oh, me too. Oh, I'm my own favorite sibling too. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. And as a reminder, for those of you that are interested in getting a thank you card, you have one more week to fill out your information in the Google form below. But before we get into who today's guest is, which you could probably already tell by the title, another, I guess, plug, 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 charge, 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 whatever word we fuel, fuel, fuel. (laughs) (laughs) I used all of them. (laughs) Feel free to forward pass a small update if you're like, just give me the stories. But we always aim to be honest with you guys and we're trying to be more transparent so you can see more into our lives and behind the scenes of creating this podcast. And as many of you may know, making a podcast is a lot of work. It's not as easy as just sitting down to record and upload the content. It actually takes a lot of planning and prep. And and it takes a lot of our time to put out the best content because we want you to enjoy this show and we want to provide you with entertaining stories and content and not just put out mediocre stuff. So with that being said, if you're like, well, I want to help my two favorite podcast hosts out, then there's several ways you can actually do that and help support us. For absolutely no cost to you at all, you can help support us by sharing our episodes with your friends and family. It's really simple and it truly does help us grow the show. And if you're like, well, I want to provide more support than just simply sharing your content, well, you can become a patron on Patreon or buy us a coffee on Buy Me a Coffee by searching for Drive With Us Podcast. And by becoming a patron, you'll get a bunch of extra perks and extra content depending on the tier you select, like getting a DWAP sticker or air freshener, getting our episodes one week early, and lots more. We're truly grateful to all of our listeners for choosing to listen to this podcast every week. And without you guys, we wouldn't be able to continue to put out such great content. So thank you, thank you, and thank you. 
let's get into today's driver. Today's driver is Richard Matthews, a full-time husband, father of four, road traveler, and founder of pushbuttonpodcast.com. He has been an RVer for three and a half years and has had his fair share of ups and downs while on the road, like the time he high-centered his new RV, put forklift-sized holes in it, lost the air conditioner, and broke the poop tank. Let's meet... (laughs) Let's meet today's driver, Richard Matthews. Welcome, Richard. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Or having me, I guess. I'm not an us. You guys are the us. <laughs> I mean, if there's more, the more the merrier, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my wife and kids are in the other room cooking dinner, so they're sort of an us. So since you are an RVer, I'm super excited to hear all your stories because I'm sure you have so many travel stories and driving stories in the RV. So let's start with what you would say is one of the most craziest driving experiences you have had. Well, you know, as you mentioned, my wife and I travel full time in an RV. We've been in an RV of various sizes and lengths for three and a half years. So, we, you know, we drive all the time every couple of weeks. So we got lots of fun stories over the last three and a half years and more over the course of my life. But probably the craziest one since we've gotten in the RV was a parking job I had to do in Southern California. I had a a friend of mine who owns a small little winery in Camarillo, and we were going up and stay there with them for a week. They were going to teach us how to do wine tasting and a bunch of other things. It was super fun. But we pulled into their house and they were like, hey, we're going to have you back up our driveway. So for context, I'm in a 40 foot RV that is about 108 inches wide, which is the legal width of a road. And their little driveway is about 108 inches wide, which is about the same width as our RV and goes up a slope that is about 100 feet straight up. And there's cliffs on either side. They're they're not huge cliffs, but if you miss the tire off of them, your RV would go tumbling down the side. There's trees all up along one side of it. And there's just a big open hole on the other side. And I had to back the RV up that uh, like, so turn it all around. So it was going backwards up the thing and then back it up this driveway about 100 feet into their up into their, uh, their driveway. It took us probably two hours to go 100 feet because we had to have someone like on all four sides of the RV watching as we were slowly backing and turning and going up this thing to get up in there. We did finally manage to get it all the way up into into the driveway. We didn't damage anything or kill anyone or fall off of the sides of the coach or off the sides of the cliff, but it was definitely a heart raising, heart rate raising experience. And at the at the end of it, I was I was impressed that we were we were able to do that. Once, once you've done that, something like that in a giant RV, pretty much anything else you have to do with it is super easy or seems like it anyways. You're like invincible now. You're like, I can do anything. Yeah. Just the other day when we pulled into this park, real tight spots to uh, back in. And we've been here several times over the course of our, our travels. We know a lot of the people and they saw me pull in and they were all standing around watching me pull in just because they were waiting to see my family and whatnot. And it was really tight, but I pulled it back in and we got it all in in one, in one shot. And I had like a standing ovation. The whole people are like, wow, you've, you've gotten really good at this. You could back my RV. And I was like, well, you know, we do it full times. So we have to back this beast every, uh, every couple of weeks. Yeah, experience. I can't imagine in that moment in California when you're backing that up, what it must have felt like, especially because I feel like the mirrors are probably not as helpful when you're backing that big RV up. Yeah, you can't see you can't see everything. You have a backup camera, but you can't see the back right side of the coach and you can't generally see the front the bottom fronts, like where the front of the, the coach tires are touching. So you have to guess on where all those things are. 
And when, you know, when you're driving a 40 foot bus on the road, it's not a big deal. But when you're in really tight spots, you're like, oh, man, I've got so much I've got so much vehicle around me. It can be quite tough. So after having to back that up, do you prefer forward parking or do you prefer reverse parking? I prefer, well, it's easier to pull forward, but I enjoy the challenge of backing up. So I, I never I never shy away from it. <laughs> That's hilarious because we, both of us, reverse park every time. And some of the guests we've talked to, they're like, what? You are guys are like some different types of people because everyone usually pulls right in. But if you think about it, if you reverse into a spot, you can just get out easily when you're trying to leave. Yeah, yeah, we def- I, I definitely back into a lot of spots. I like parallel parking, too, because you get the math down right and you can parallel park pretty much anything. I can parallel park this 40-foot RV with a trailer on the back of it. That's always fun. But the, the same math and angles apply to the big RV as they do to the little car. Now that's some skill. So what actually inspired you into doing RV full-time? Well, it's something my wife and I have been talking about for a number of years, I think five years, actually, before we actually did it. And the the stuff that happens in in life had kept us from doing it. Right. You know, you've got a lease and you've got kids in gymnastics and you've got school and you've got a, a job that's local and all these things that are that keep you in one spot. Same as everyone else. But we were like, we wanted to do this. So we talked about it and we had an idea of like what kind of RV we wanted and what we were looking to do. And it was just like a back burner discussion that sometime in our life will eventually do that. And then we had our third child and we were talking to our landlord about renewing our lease for the next year. And he's like, yeah, we can renew your lease. I'll bring the paperwork over next week. Well, next week comes around and he calls me up about the paperwork. And he's like, so remember that paperwork I was supposed to bring you this week? Well, it turns out the guy who owns your property doesn't want to renew it. He wants to sell it. You have 28 days to leave. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, A 28 day. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think technically that's legal. I think they're supposed to give you like 60 days. But either way, we were like, oh, well, I guess we'll we'll figure out what to do. And he was like, we can help you look for another place with their network of homes that they managed. So we started looking for a house for us. And then my wife and I that evening, we started chatting about, well, you know, I've got my business to a point where we can we can move if we wanted to. And the kids are we don't have anyone like my oldest son was homeschooling and the younger younger two weren't in school yet. So we we could do schooling on the road with our oldest one. There was just like all these things where we're like, without the lease, there's nothing holding us here. There's nothing specific saying that we have to stay here. So maybe now is a good time to take that chance to to talk about going in the RV. So over the next, and this is a fun driving experience, over the next, the next day, my wife and I decided we'll just throw all three of the kids in the car and our new dog and enough clothes and stuff to make it for a couple of weeks. And we're gonna drive halfway across the country from California to Illinois. And the excuse was, we're going to go and visit her family. But what we were doing was there was three of the RVs that we were looking at that we wanted to see. One was in Kansas, and one was in Texas, and one was in Arizona. And we figured we could use use the trip to go look at those three RVs. And if none of them worked out, we at least got to see her family out of it. And it was just a cool road trip, even though it took two weeks of our four weeks we had to move out. And if it worked out, we would have an RV when we got back and we could move into that and do our travels. So anyways, we piled everyone into the car and then we drove 26 hours, I think, straight from California to Salinas, Kansas. And there's a couple of things that are super fun about that. When we got in the car to leave, we did not have the cash in the bank to buy the RV. When we got to Salinas, Kansas, I had enough cash in the bank to buy the RV we were looking at there. We managed to make it there. My youngest child screamed pretty much the entire time. It was the worst thing ever. But we managed to get there. We took a look at the RV and the guy that had it and said it was in great condition, all these things lied completely. And it was just a horrible pile of garbage that smelled like a rolling can of, well, poop. (laughs) 
we still test drove it anyways. And it was my first time in a 36 foot RV and we drove it around town and I brought it back and I parked it right in the spot that it was in. And anyways, we did end up buying that. We went on to see her family in Illinois because of all of the stress of driving. And it's one of the things I didn't, uh, didn't know, but there's a lot of physiological stress that goes along with driving everything from road noise to just the normal stresses of driving. And I had had chicken pox as a kid and road stress can cause flare-ups of shingles. So I managed to get shingles from our trip in Illinois that went all down the left side of my neck. And it basically felt like I was burning and dying from my ear down to my shoulder on the left side. We had to still continue our trip because while we're halfway over there, my grandmother's funeral got planned for Las Vegas and we had to make it back to Las Vegas because I was the one who was preaching at her funeral. So we still had two more RVs to look at. So we book it down to Texas to look at the second one. And we actually ended up really liking that coach. I mean, it cost a few thousand dollars more. So we bought it cash, moved all the stuff out of the trunk and the dog into the RV. And then we drove it off the lot only for me to get it high centered and stuck on. I don't know if you've ever seen those little like the dips they have in Texas between the road and and the thing to let all the water run through. Well, I didn't know anything about driving long vehicles over those things. So I went straight over it and high centered the RV in the driveway of the spot where I bought the RV. So we got it stuck there. I've owned the thing for like 10 minutes now. I have to go back into the owner of the shop and be like, hey, I got the RV that you just sold me that I just signed the paperwork and had the cash over for like not even 10 minutes ago. Hey, I got stuck in your driveway and I can't move. And we're literally the front bumpers on on the road and the back bumper is on their driveway and the wheels are just dangling over the little dip. Oh my God. Yeah. So this is the uh, the start of our RV trip, right? And he comes out, he's like, oh, we can fix that. I got a forklift. We'll just lift the back tires with the forklift and it'll roll back and we'll be good. So he comes out there, he attaches a strap to the back bumper and lifts the back of it up and it does exactly what he says it was going to do. It rolls the front tires into the little dip and takes the back tires back. And then you hear a crunch, crunch, crunch because it was on a on a one of those cord things and the back end of the rv swung into the forklift and put six forklift shaped holes in the back of our brand new to us rv so that was the start of our rv trip was putting six holes in the fiberglass but that was the first like 20 minutes of our rv trip and then he did actually teach me how to drive over those dips you're supposed to go over them sideways at a 45 degree angle from the thing and you can you can get over those dips even in big 40 foot coaches and not get stuck we had to book it from texas all the way back to las vegas and on the way to las vegas because we bought a 1986 coach. It was like a million dollar coach when it was made. So it had all high-end stuff like teak teak cabinetry and high-end appliances and all that. But it was 30 years old, so it needed a lot of work to bring it back up to its former glory. But as we're like driving down the road in New Mexico, my wife is behind me in the car. We got little radios we picked up at Radio Shack. And she radios me up and she goes, honey, the air conditioner just flew off the top of the RV. And I'm like, wait, what? It just doesn't look like it flew off because I'm sitting there under the, you know, in the coach and I can see the, the air conditioner there and it was still there. And she was like, no, you don't understand. It just flew off of the top of the RV and is on the side of the road. So we have to stop, pull off the side of the road and we're looking over there. And it's the shroud, like the thing that goes over top of the RV to keep the rain out of it, the rain cover. It had sun rotted because it had been sitting for many years and the uh, bolts that were on it just popped it right, popped right off in the hot Nevada or whatever we were, New Mexico sun and ended up on the side of the road. So we had to go pick that up. And then I had to, at our next stop, had to go and get a new shroud and put it up on the uh, top of the RV. I'm only to get back in the RV and start driving again. And we go and get gas somewhere in Arizona and the uh, coach won't start at the gas station after we filled it up. Luckily, the gas station there had a shop and we went over there. They had a big truck shop and they drove us over there and take a look at it. The starter was bad and the starting battery was bad they both died at the same time so i had to replace the starting battery and the starter 
I had to drive into town to buy those things. We put them in there. And then we finally, a couple of days later, we made it into Las Vegas. And I was able to do my grandmother's funeral and do a really good, good service there. And we made it back to California with 14 or 15 days left to finish up moving out of our house. We basically got everything ready to go in 14 days. And with one day left to spare, we got everything moved into the RV, had the house completely cleared out, moved into it and drove it up to my dad's house. We could help me work on some electrical stuff I needed to update only to uh, back it onto a, a stone thing that he, they had for RVs up at his the place where he lived. And the uh, pipe that the, the, the poop drain stuff came out of was hanging down just a little lower than it should have been. And we caught it on the concrete and snapped it all off. <laughs> so I had to fix all of our, our poo tank stuff as like the first did. And that's like the first 30 days of our RV trip was driving halfway across the country, getting the shingles, blowing off the AC, getting it stuck, putting holes in the back of it, fixing the starter and the batteries and getting home and breaking the tank. And this is day 31. This is where we're at. Now, three and a half years later, we're pros at it. But our first, <laughs> our first month was quite hectic. What a whirlwind of a trip. Oh my gosh, it sounds exactly like a movie. It's like day one, <laughs> day two, I got shingles, you know, day three, I ran into a ditch. <laughs> yep. Yep. It was, it was insane. It's funny. Cause you like, you think that it would change and get better, but really when you have an alternate alternative lifestyle, like living full-time on the road, like we do, those kind of things are, they're just like normal life now where you break something or run over something or something doesn't work the way you want. You just learn to deal with it and move on. But when you're literally driving your house down the road, all of the things that go wrong, you have all the things that go wrong with the house and all the things that go wrong with a car combined and then made worse because things that are designed to be houses aren't generally designed to be driven down a road. As you were explaining this experience from like going across the country and getting this RV and all the stuff that went wrong... I thought it would end in a happy ending soon, but then it's like, no, this went wrong. And I'm just like, okay, now what to expect? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, the happy ending is my wife and I are three and a half years into traveling. We love it. We've been having a great time. Our kids love it. We had another baby on the road. We've done everything from sliding off of waterfalls in Yosemite to going to the tippiest point of Texas and all the way down to the lowest point in the continental U.S. on the Florida Keys and everywhere in between. We've got friends all over the country. It's been it's been a blast. We've really loved it. We've put well, probably 50 or 60,000 miles across the U.S. in a couple of coaches over the last couple of years. And we've only seen like 27 of the states. We were supposed to go up the East Coast this summer, but, you know, the COVID crisis stopped us from doing that. So we sort of got stuck in Florida because they canceled us. We got, we got stuck in one spot for six months, but everyone's dealing with that. So that's not unique to us. But yeah, we are living our happy ending, so to speak. Yeah, that's really great to hear that you're enjoying what you're doing right now. I do have a couple RV related questions. So I was looking online and it looks like you don't need any special license to drive an RV, right? That is correct for the most part. There are certain sizes, like if you get over a certain size, you have to get a CDL. And I don't remember exactly what that is because mine's not that big, so I don't care. And I think it's generally the RV plus your trailer. If they get over 65 feet, you have to have the CDL. And mine's only like with our car behind us, it's only like 58 feet. So we, we are under that limit and don't need to have the special license. You can, however, because our, the bigger RV we have now is a diesel engine with the air brakes. You can go get a special, I don't know what they call it. It's like an, a license addendum. I don't know. You guys probably know better than I do where you can get, you can get a certification for air brakes. 
Interesting. Well, it's great that with your regular license, you can drive an RV if you want to. So anyone who's interested in doing it can do it based on the size. <laughs> That's the limiting yeah, factor. Yeah. So do you typically drive or do you and your wife alternate? I generally drive the RV. My wife will drive the RV on straight roads. She's like, once you get onto the freeway and it's straight for the next 100 miles, she'll drive. But other than that, she's like, if I have to turn or get off or change lanes, not happening. She grew up in a small town in Illinois and I grew up in Southern California. So like her her driving experience versus mine are like, I'm, I'm used to LA traffic, which I figure is worth worse than New York. But you know, I've never been to New York. My wife grew up with a single stop sign. Um, that's how she learned to drive. And some of my first driving experiences in California, are, uh, <laughs> they make you confident on the road when you learn to drive in a, in a place like Southern California. Yeah, we've had a couple of guests come on and talk about how crazy California driving is. So I can imagine we haven't been on LA roads, but it sounds like it's a little bit worse than here in Maryland and DC traffic, which yeah. is a yeah. whole different world of its own. So there's there's a freeway, the 9115 interstate interchange in, in uh, Southern California is known as the uh, deadliest interchange in the States. <laughs> well, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the, the claim to fame, right? So I'm curious to know, because an RV is such a big vehicle, how much gas does it take and what does it typically cost? That changes dramatically depending on where you are in the country. So if you're in California, it's going to cost you twice as much as it costs you pretty much anywhere else in the country because the the taxes there in California on fuel are generally about 50% of the fuel cost. Today, I bought gas for unleaded fuel here in, in Florida. It was like $1.87. And the last time I bought fuel in California, it was like Four twenty-five. We we pay a lot to the man in California for uh, for the privilege of using fuel in the state, and a lot of that is supposedly because it's helping with the emissions out there, and they've done a good job to getting the emissions under control. So if it's working, it's working. But either way, it's uh, it depends a lot on where you're at. And my understanding is there's some places up in uh, like the Northeast that are more expensive as well. But our average over our last three and a half years, we generally average about eight to nine miles per gallon in the diesel RV. Our last RV was gas and that one had a big 454 in it and that one averaged about six miles to the gallon. And what I found actually is that miles to the gallon is not nearly as useful a number as the cost per mile because if you have your cost per mile down, then you can judge how much it's going to cost this leg of your trip a lot easier, if that makes sense. So my cost per mile in my gas coach was 47 cents a mile. And my cost per mile in this coach while towing the car is only about 39 cents per mile. And with the, the other coach, it wasn't big enough to tow our car. So we had to drive it alongside. So we paid another 20 cents a mile for the car. So the big diesel engine being able to tow the car, getting the eight miles to the gallon gives us a really good cost per mile. It costs us on average to do a hundred mile trip we, we can generally say it costs about half that in, in fuel. So if we're doing 100 miles, it costs us about 50 bucks in gas to, to go. That's an interesting way to think of it. I never thought to think of it cost per mile instead of miles per gallon. Yeah. When you're traveling, you're always looking at where your next destination is. And the information you get from there is how many miles away it is. You don't get how many gallons it's going to take to get there. So you have to do all this math to figure out what it's going to cost to get there if you just know your miles per gallon. But if you track your usage. I use a little app called Fuely, I think. What it does is as you continue to use it, it starts giving you a really accurate cost per mile for your driving. And then we use that cost per mile to guesstimate our fuel costs as we're going places. Little insider tips for all you aspiring RVers out there. 
Yeah, absolutely. Since you mentioned that you've been to, I think you said 27 states, I'm sure you've seen a lot of crazy drivers all around. Have you noticed any particular types of drivers in different areas? I don't like using, I don't want to use the word stereotype, but you know, have you seen that certain areas have certain types of drivers? There are, the difference primarily I've noticed is in your rural rural versus your your city drivers. Doesn't seem to matter if you're in San Diego or LA or Dallas, Texas or Orlando, Florida or Seattle or even Salt Lake City, Utah. If you're in one of the big cities, people drive completely differently in cities than they do in pretty much everywhere else in the country. And I would describe the difference as being aggressive driving versus what you call like the classic defensive driving, where pretty much everywhere else in the country outside of your big cities, if you're sitting at a stoplight or a stop sign and there's a car that's way off down the road, they'll like, wait for that car to go even if there's plenty of space for you to go in front of them but if you're in a big city they're going to take every every advantage to to go as quickly as possible so i see that all the time and then the other thing that i've noticed is it seems to me that the overwhelming majority of drivers who are not in rvs or semi trucks do not understand how long it takes for a semi truck or an rv to stop a lot of times I've got enough space between me and the car in front of me when we're driving to to break if something happens and we need to stop suddenly because I've got 30,000 pounds of stuff, a house and a car and everything inside of it. So I have to have a couple lengths of my RV to stop safely. And you'll have people all the time that like, I'm leaving that buffer because I need it and other people will come in front of you. And I'm like, I know we're half the size or half the weight of like the big semi trucks. And I see people cut semi trucks off all the time. And I'm like, man, you're taking your life into your own hands when you do that. Now that I've actually driven a big, a big vehicle like this, and I know what it takes to stop it. I give, I give every RV and every semi truck a nice big wide berth in the, in, in the front of them because it takes a long time for them to stop. That's my encouragement to anyone who's out there driving, pay attention to those big vehicles, make sure that you, you give them the room they need to stop. Cause otherwise if they crash into you, you don't win that battle. Yeah, you almost never will win that battle. (laughs) (laughs) Lug nut rules. He who has the biggest lug nuts makes the rules. (laughs) Yeah, every time I see someone like cutting off a semi-truck driver, I'm just like, oh my God, don't do that. I'm scared for them. Yeah. So how would you describe your driving? And would you say that your family and friends would describe your driving in the same way? I would probably describe my driving as conservative experienced driver that I don't know if that would make sense or not but yeah I think my my family and friends would probably describe me a little bit differently my wife for instance thinks that I'm like a driving god and I'm not sure exactly why but cuz she's doesn't like driving well I mean she has you to drive the RV so then why <laughs> she's probably like I'm good yeah. <laughs> he's driving <laughs> yeah she doesn't she doesn't like to drive and so like even when we're driving around town that's actually one of the reasons why we bought the rv versus buying a big truck in the fifth wheel is because with the rv you can tow a regular vehicle and drive a regular vehicle around town if you buy the truck in the fifth wheel you have to have one of those really big trucks the f1 what is it the 250s or the 350s or the chevy 1500 or 2500s or whatever which are big dually trucks and she's she doesn't like driving enough to even want to drive them and that's your what your driver would be when you get there but when you have a class a like we have you can tow a regular vehicle behind it so we just have a a seven-seater suv that we have all of our kids in and my wife drives that around for groceries or when we go to explore the area that we're in and it doesn't make her nearly as nervous to drive that as it would to drive a big truck or to drive the rv Speaking of like all the crazy drivers that you've seen on the road, what would you say is your biggest driving pet peeve? 
my biggest driving pet peeve is is people who are not paying attention to the road. So the people who are on their cell phones or texting or doing things that are not driving. And the reason that it's a big pet peeve for me is because they're not just putting themselves in danger. They're putting me and my wife and my kids in danger when they do that. It's it's funny because we're in an RV. We can see a lot more than other people can see because we're up high. And we've made it a game sometimes on the highway to count the number of cars where the person's playing on their cell phone instead of driving. And you would be astonished to know how large the percentage of people is who are not actually driving. They're playing on their phones. And I wish I wish more people would just, if you're going to drive, drive. Driving's fun. Driving's a fun experience. I enjoy driving. You can enjoy driving. And I know it's cliche, but arrive alive. You're alive. The text can wait. The YouTube video can wait. Yeah, driving is a privilege. You're given this ability to do something that not everyone can do. You should take it seriously because you're not just endangering yourself, but other lives at the same time. So yeah, I agree. That's a big problem. We see that a lot here in Maryland too, where I feel like everyone I see is on their phone. I worry for them and I back up and I'm like, okay, at least if I stay away and I can keep myself safe, but then it's like, they're going to hit that person. I'm worried for that person. Yeah. So staying on this topic of other drivers, have you ever experienced road rage, whether it was like towards you or if you had it yourself? I've experienced it twice against me. I don't get road rage because I'm the, like, the happiest person you'll ever meet. It takes a long time, a lot of effort to me off. So I've never really experienced road rage from that standpoint. But on the other side, I have. And one of them was one of my first driving experiences. So I'm 16 and I have a truck that I bought from my grandfather. It is a one-wheel drive Isuzu S10. It's got one power to one back wheel in the back, and it's got a, what do they call it, the five-speed in the floor that you're you're driving. And my dad took me around the old part of town where there's nobody around, and we spent weeks and weeks driving around this one stupid little loop, learning how to shift gears and those kind of things. And he made me stop on this little hill every single time we went around the loop, and he'd make me stop in the middle of the hill and start on the on the hill, on the incline. And so I got I got pretty confident getting there. And finally, you know, I've got my learner's permit. I've got all the hours you need to officially be able to drive by myself. And my dad is like, I need milk for dinner. Do you want to take your first by yourself driving and go across the street to Walmart and get milk? And I was like, yes, I do. I'm super excited about that, but also super nervous about that because, you know, 16, first time in the car. And the Walmart is literally across the street from us. But the street is a very big street. And we're living on the rural side of the street and Walmart's on the other side of the developed side of the street. It's one of those streets that it is three lanes on one side going one direction and three lanes on the other side and a big concrete slab in the middle. So you can't go into the middle of it. You have to go all the way across. And because we're on the rural side of it, we have a stop sign that goes to go across the street. And I have to go straight across, which is crossing six lanes of traffic coming from both directions. And I can't stop in the middle. There's no room for it. The stop sign is on an incline. It's like a 45% incline. It's one car length that you're sitting on this incline at the stoplight or stop sign to go across. They've they have since changed this. It's now a stoplight and it's actually much easier to do this. But I get over there and I'm stopped at the stoplight. And if you guys have ever driven a clutch before, or if you remember being first time drivers, but I was super nervous about having to start on this hill at the stop sign. And it's like the busiest street in our town. So I was waiting for like a really, really wide berth. So if I if I effed it up, I wouldn't die in the middle of the road. So I'm sitting there at the stop sign and probably 
10 minutes into me waiting there and like sweating bullets going, there's never going to be a break in the traffic and I'm going to have to go for it eventually. A lady pulls up behind me and she's in a white car and she is two minutes into me being there. She's already like, and she's honking at me. She's leaning out the window and screaming at me. And she's only been there for two minutes at this point. And I'm like freaking out. There's still not enough space for me to go, at least not be comfortable going. And she finally, three minutes into me trying to like have a space to go. And now I've got this car that's revving her engine behind me, like rolling up towards my bumper and being really, really aggressive. And I'm sitting like, if I if I mess up this letting off the clutch, I'm going to hit her car and she's already mad. She finally, she puts on her parking brake and she hops out of the car and she starts coughing up towards me, yelling and screaming at the top of her lungs that I need to go or she's going to kill me. And so I freaked out and I just, I, I slammed on the gas and booked it out across the thing and made it across all six lanes of traffic and made it over to Walmart and didn't die. But I was convinced that if I didn't actually go, that this lady behind me was going to come over and pull me out of the car and beat me senseless. <laughs> oh my God, a lot of firsts in one. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Your first RV, very crazy experience. Your first time driving by yourself, someone threatened to kill you. <laughs> like, oh my yep, God. Yep. I'm glad I, you made it across. <laughs> glad I made it across too. So maybe that's just a, a, a thing in my life. My wife and I are talking about buying a uh, sailboat and learning how to travel that way next. So maybe our first driving experience and that's not going to go so well either. It's like a, a theme. Well, I'm glad to hear that these experiences did not deter you from driving, that you still enjoy it. But yeah, hopefully your first time on the boat is not <laughs> as bad as your other first time experiences. Another first time was well, sort of a first time. I was driving back from St. Louis to my wife's house for the first time after we had gotten married. And we were going to visit her parents. We had driven in the car before together, but this is the first time after we'd gotten married that we were going to go somewhere together. And we were driving in my, I had a little orange Suzuki Reno or something like that. I can't remember what it was, a little tiny car. It was great. And we were driving on the 61 North in Missouri, going up to Quincy. It is middle of November. It is snowing. There is, there's nothing for probably 50 miles in any direction from where we're at. In the middle of nowhere, a deer, I swear, teleported out of the sky and landed on top of our engine bay and muffin tended. You know how muffin tin is like indented into the pan? That's what the hood of my car looked like. The deer knocked the engine straight out of my vehicle onto the ground and flopped off into the distance, which I had never hit a deer before. And everyone talks about hitting deer in the Midwest. And I always imagined in my head that hitting a deer meant that a deer ran out in front of you and you hit it. I was not aware <laughs> that deer could fall from the sky onto your vehicle, which is apparently a normal thing because the deer try to jump over the roads and they don't generally make it. So hitting a deer can oftentimes mean that a deer landed on top of you. So that's what happened at 70 miles an hour on the freeway. A deer dropped on top of our vehicle. We're actually lucky to be alive for that one because if he had dropped another five feet behind, he would have landed on top of us and knocked us through the car. But he landed on the engine and just knocked it out. But here we are again, middle of November. It's snowing. We're all alone. There's no cell service. So we ended up having to pull a little emergency blanket out of the uh, trunk of the car and wrap up in that and lay in the back seat of the car with the flashers on until someone stopped and could help us and we could get a tow truck coming. That was a fun experience. Those Midwest deer must be a whole different species of deer because I've never heard of a deer trying to jump over the road. So they have really big deer. Oh. Yeah, they look like small horses. 
Okay, wow. Because here, deer is a big problem. Taryn, she can tell you all about her experiences with deer. So fun. <laughs> but I've never seen them try to jump over. It's definitely what you would think of. They run in front of you and hit yeah. you. Yeah, that's what, like, that's what I thought would happen. Wow. First of all, it makes me not want to drive there because I attract deer like crazy. So I don't want to encounter them. You're a those. deer magnet? <laughs> I am. <laughs> One of my worst deer experiences experiences was I was going 60 miles an hour and the deer came out of nowhere and destroyed my brand new car. I haven't even had it for a month oh. and just destroyed the whole left side. And the deer, most and all in the accidents I've had with deer, they always just get up and just run away. And it's like nothing happens to them, but your car is done. <laughs> yeah, it's quite sad. So you kind of talked about your first driving experiences. How would you describe your driving test experience? Were you able to pass it on your first try? I was able to pass it on my first try. And then in Southern California, we lived in a little town called Temecula. And Temecula is a tourist area. It's the second wine country. So if you're familiar with Napa Valley, the other Napa Valley in, in California is Temecula. Every Saturday and Sunday, people come in from all over the world to go to the wineries. So there's always tourists and it's very, very busy. And the driver's test area, the DMV, is right in the downtown area where all the tourists are. So we have to do our driver's test through downtown. And I'm doing it on a Saturday. So there is a ton of people. They made us do a whole bunch of things. Like we had to pull up next to a, a curb and back all the way up along the curb and keep it straight. And it all it was all going well until I got to downtown. And as we're driving between three of the stop signs, I had entire groups of people run out in front of me. And I had to slam the brakes on so hard that I threw the test teacher almost into the dashboard three <laughs> times. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I'm over here, like, slamming him around in the vehicle. And he's like, don't worry about it. That's what you're supposed to do. You don't hit the pedestrians. If you hit the pedestrians, you would fail the driving test. So I'm, like, freaking out. This is not helping my nerves at all. And by, like, the third time that I had to slam on my brakes for a group of people running out in front of the vehicle, I, I was convinced I had failed this test. We get all the way back to the thing. And at this point, I'm like nervous and shaking and sweating the whole bit. And we pull back into the DMV and they have the, that center, the center yellow lines that you can pull into. That's like the turn lane. I, I had pulled into the center lane. The, the back tires had gone over the double yellow line before to get in, before they got to the little turn, the opening for the turn. And I get back and I was like, how did I do? I feel like I failed. I just messed everything up. He's like, you did everything perfect by the book, except for the last second there. You had your back tires run over the double yellow line, so you lost three points for that. That's the only three points you lost on the whole driver's test. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, what? How did that happen? So, Don't worry about your passenger throwing them around. You didn't hit anyone. I didn't hit any people, which is the primary goal of driving is not to kill the pedestrians. But it doesn't matter if you throw around your passengers. <laughs> no big <Yeah>. deal. <laughs> yep. So did you have to parallel park on your test? Because a lot of people we talked to have said that they didn't have to, which is really surprising. We did not have to parallel park between vehicles. We had to parallel park between cones, but we did have to, with vehicles and traffic, we had to pull up next to the curb and we had to be able to back up along the curb for a hundred yards, which is different, I guess. But it's it. the other thing that they had us do is they had us park on the hill, which is apparently a thing that doesn't happen across the country either. But in California, there's lots of hills and you park on hills a lot. So they make you park up on a hill next to the curb and you have to remember 
to turn your tire into the curb so that if your parking brake fails, the tire will stop the car from going. And that was a very specific thing I remember we had to do on our test that is not typical across the country. And then the other thing that is also not common is we had to do entry and exit on to interstates and we had to do lane change on the interstate and come back off of the interstate on our driver's test because most of the roads in California are interstates. Yeah, I definitely can see how parking on a hill is a California thing because we don't have that over here at all in the level that I think like San Francisco is like extreme. Yeah, they're famous hills. for it. But all over California, like the whole city is or the whole city, the whole state is mountainous. So if you park on the road there, you have to do the same thing. And it's the whole the whole state is like that. If you, if you get onto the desert, maybe not so much, but most of the rest of the state is all hilly. That makes sense to have specific parts of the test for your state. Do you think that parallel parking should be a requirement on the test or is it up to the state, like state by state basis? I don't know. I, I can say that, you know, I've been driving for 20 years now. And I can count the number of times that I've had to parallel park. And I drive a lot on like two and a half hands, my hand, my hands and my toes. There's just, it's just not that common of an occurrence. I don't know that I, I can see a reason to make it a requirement. I do think that you should teach you how to do it in driving school because a lot of people don't know how to do it. I think you should know how to do it, but I don't know that's a requirement for testing. Yeah, that's an interesting point. We've had mixed responses for this. Some are like, yeah, everyone should know how to do it. But yeah, if they teach it in driver's ed, I guess I could count as at least teach it. But I feel like a lot of people in driver's ed don't really learn the skills as much as opposed to probably doing it on the test or actually doing it in life after getting your license. Yeah, yeah. My my dad taught me how to do it. And there's this whole thing where you pull up next to the car and you pull back. So your front tire is aligned with their back tire and you turn your wheel a certain degree and pull in and you turn the wheel another degree. And you, you, you can like nail it perfectly every time if you know if you know where you're supposed to turn the wheel and it doesn't even matter how long your vehicle is it's all it's all pretty much the same so it's 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 probably one of the most formulaic parts of driving is parallel parking and also pulling into a parking space is the same way i know a lot of people park crooked but you can park a big truck or a big a big rv perfectly into a into a spot even in a tight space if you know how you're supposed to pull the car in at the right angles and when you're supposed to turn the wheel which is something they don't teach yeah i guess it comes down to having the right teacher <laughs> yeah absolutely so thinking into the future of cars and with the possibility of having self-driving cars, and maybe there'll be self-driving RVs, who knows, would you be comfortable in getting in this car? And what are your thoughts? Um, a couple of years ago, I was in Southern California and a famous speaker I wanted to go see was coming in to Las Vegas. And we only had one car, my wife and I, and she needed the car for something she was doing. So I needed to get a ride out to Vegas. And I had thought about just taking a plane over there because it's only a couple hundred bucks to get a plane ticket. But a new service had popped up that was you could take Tesla. There was a, a Tesla taxi service between where we lived and they would come pick you up at your house and drive you to Vegas and then they'd come pick you up in Vegas and drive you back, which was super cool. And it was really inexpensive. It's only like 85 bucks because it doesn't cost them anything in gas. They get free charging because that's the way Tesla does it. So they have the cost to get in and take the Tesla taxi was it was $85 one direction, $85 the other direction, which was just so cheap compared to buying a plane or renting a car or any other options I had. So I went ahead and did it. The coolest thing ever is they come and pick me up in Vegas and on the way back, the guy who picks me up is like, you want to try the auto driving? And I was like, sure, why not? And he turns on the auto driving 
And the car just takes over and drives us basically from Vegas all the way to Southern California. He has to sit in the driver's seat and he has to look at the screen every couple of minutes. Otherwise, it'll turn off the auto driving and beep at him. So it, it checks that you're paying attention. But we spent the entire time driving back, just him and I chatting and looking at photos and talking about stuff. So from that standpoint, it is really, really cool technology. Now, the other side of that is that I work in technology. So there's things I know about machine learning that not a lot of people know, like, for instance, Google and their self-driving car initiatives, they have not yet figured out how to get their auto driving system to be able to tell whether or not a stop sign has been tampered with. So if you have a stop sign and you take a one inch square of duct tape and you put that one inch square of duct tape on the stop sign, Google's auto drive can't figure that out. And that's it's that's just one thing of many because you're talking about computers who are trying to learn how to do what humans can do instinctually. We are we are so far away on the machine learning to actually having the neural linguistic capabilities or the neural processing capabilities that we have as humans in the vehicles that I, I think it's going to be a long time before we actually have self-driving vehicles that are legitimately self-driving and autonomous where they're not on a closed system. I think you could do some closed system stuff with the auto driving technology that's out now. But as, as long as you have an open system of roads and where they have to be able to interact with the environment around them, I think self-driving is a long ways off. However, that being said, the auto driving stuff where you still have a human being there as backup is really cool. So how would you feel about having these features or technology in an RV? I think that I would totally buy Tesla's RV because they already came out with their semi-truck. So if they take that same platform and stick an RV on the back instead of a big semi-truck, I would, I would be in line. Bonus question time. Are you ready? I am. If you could make one new driving law, what would it be? One new driving law. That's an interesting question. I think I probably have to go back to my pet peeve on that with the cell phone use while driving. I would tend to want to make the penalties harsher than they currently are, just because harsher penalties tend to dissuade behavior better than other things. But I don't know exactly how that would impact things because it's difficult to enforce. But if, if we could figure out a way to use our legal system to get people to actually pay attention on the road and not put my family in danger because they're not paying attention, I'd be down for that. Maybe they can come out with some kind of like, you know how there are speed cameras. Maybe there can be like a, if you're using your phone camera. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And I know like there's, they've tried some things. Like I know Apple has this feature where you can have it driving where like it knows if you've connected to your Bluetooth and it won't let, it'll discourage you from using certain pieces of your phone while you're driving. But if someone texts you, it'll send them to, it won't notify you until you stop driving. But not a lot of people use them and they're still not implemented well. I like them and I still don't like to use them because there's stuff that you need to know about sometimes, especially if you got a wife and four kids and you have an emergency situation. I was two hours later than I should have been because I didn't see those see those things because I was driving when I should have turned around and come back, those kind of things. There's companies that are working on the issue and I know that we'll get there eventually. We're just, we're just not there yet. Yeah. In our state, at least when the law first came out on cell phone use, it started off as a secondary offense. So like you would have to get pulled over for something else before you could get a ticket for that. I guess it'll take some time to get to more stricter laws against cell phone use, but it is equally as dangerous as drunk driving or any yeah. of those types of distracted driving. I was reading some statistics the other day that they did a comparison of drunk driving versus looking at your cell phone and texting with drivers on a closed course. And they had flags up, I believe, that they were 
they were trying to see if they saw the flags or if they'd hit the flags to move out of the way of them. And someone who had the the blood alcohol level, right, which is like 0.8, they hit less of the flags than someone who was texting and driving by like 25%. It was astonishing how much more distracted you are on your phone than even if you're drunk. And drunk driving is like you lose your license. Yeah, that's really scary to think about, especially with the number of people who do do it. Do you have any final tips or advice that you'd like to give other drivers or to anyone who's considering getting an RV? If you're considering getting an RV, my primary suggestion is get one with a big enough engine to pull however much your RV weighs. My first RV did not have a big enough engine for how much it weighed, so it struggled everywhere, which makes driving no fun. The new coach that we got, has a massive diesel engine and it is so much nicer to drive a vehicle that is overpowered than it is to drive one that is underpowered. So my advice if you're buying an RV is to test drive it and make them let you take it to a big hill and drive that thing fully loaded up a big hill. And if it can't go up the big hill fully loaded, don't buy the RV, get one with a bigger engine. And if you're wanting to drive, my advice to other drivers is relax. Driving is a at least I think it is. It can be a very relaxing, fun experience. If I ever get stressed out, I'll go get in the car and drive around for a couple of hours and listen to some music. I think if you can just learn to become one with the machine and learn how to handle the roads and all those things and get yourself into crazy situations in your car and your vehicle and spin your car around on ice a couple of times, drive in the dirt, all these kind of things, you learn how to really handle the extremes of your vehicle. Driving can be a very fun experience. Being a relaxed driver helps you be a better driver, not only for yourself, but then also you're keeping others around you safe because you're not in that anxious state of mind. It's powerful for a lot of things in life. When you're relaxed, you have space in your mind between stimulus and your response. So when things happen on the road, you have the space in your mind to think about your choices and how to respond and how to respond well, instead of being a reactionary driver where you're just freaking out and tensing up over things. And the more you do that, the faster you get at making really good choices when you're driving, which is why when you get to be a really experienced driver that way, things like really heavy traffic and having a drunk driver swerving around you and driving in ice storms, don't they don't stress you out. It makes you a lot more comfortable driver, makes you a safer driver. And then driving becomes something that's fun instead of being a chore. That's really well said. Yeah, trying to try out different types of vehicle will will help you get a better understanding of how it is to drive that, especially the difference between an RV and a regular car and how long it takes to stop. It would be important for people to know the differences of those vehicles. So before we let you go, I know you have a business that helps with marketing podcasts. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it and where can everyone find you? Yeah, the the business that allows us to travel full time is a we have a full service podcasting agency called Push Button Podcasts, and we work with small businesses and sometimes podcasters. They're just running podcasts and they want help with it. Where we do we do everything for you except the actual recording of the podcast. We do everything from helping you book and schedule your guests to helping you come up with topics for your show to helping you get your studio set up to helping you get your podcast website set up to every single episode when you hit that stop record button it automatically gets uploaded to our servers and our team takes over and does the audio editing and the video editing and the written assets for it we literally do all of the creation of assets that you need to actually go out and publish your podcast and then we handle all the publishing for you and because we do that at scale with 
teams from all over the world, we can do that for a significantly smaller price than you could to hire that in-house. And it is a push button podcasts.com and my my staff over there set you guys up with a coupon code that gives anyone who listens to this show and wants to hit us up and get that set up and use the coupon code drive with us you will get a discount and hopefully helping support your show wow that's really cool well thank you so much for coming on today it was really interesting to hear your perspectives as a full-time rver and all your experiences on the road around the country thank you very much for having me it's been fun i have a question for you i know we both love driving and our listeners probably know this because we mention this all the time. But would you ever consider driving an RV or becoming an RVer? So driving as in just one time driving it <laughs> versus living in an RV. Sure. We can go whichever way you want to take it. Well, if those are the options, I'd rather just drive it. I don't think I would want to live full time in an RV. Like I love driving, but... I'd like a home to come home to that's stationary. Yeah, I agree. I don't think I could do it. I, I There's always this, like, I don't know if it's, like, a joke or just, like, this, I guess it's kind of a joke where people are, non-white people are usually, like, camping's a white people thing, you know? Like, <laughs> you know? And how, like, like, why would I do that? Exactly. Especially, like, speaking from an Indian perspective, since we're Indian and we know that perspective, but it's just, like, a lot of, like, our family and relatives has come from India from like living in, I guess, a more not as luxurious lifestyle. So then coming here, they're like, we're not going to camp like that. It's like what we could have done back home, you know? Like That's called sleeping on the farm. Like, what are you talking about? Exactly. <laughs> so I feel like that is like a part of RV life is like being able to also camp or like pull out wherever and just be on like a campsite. And I don't think I don't think I would enjoy that. The kudos Indian in me is like, no, <laughs> I don't think you'll like it. Yeah, kudos to everyone who does it. Like, you can probably see some really amazing stuff always being on the road. And that part I am envious of. But, yeah, I don't think camping is for me. I would much rather get in a car, do the road trip, and then, like, get an Airbnb or a hotel or something. <laughs> Stationary room. Yeah. Instead of lugging my house around everywhere. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, we kind of lugged our house to Georgia. but <laughs> You know how stressed I get just drive Like, and then if you had the tension of driving your house with you the whole time. Uh-uh. uh-uh. Yeah. But yes, we did lug our house to Georgia. You can hear about that in our previous episode. Don't Not- remember the number... Season one, probably. (laughs) Yes, season one. Just be warned, our quality, our audio quality was not at the level that it is now. It's a little subpar. We were still learning. Yeah, we still are learning. But I'm curious to know, are you, the listeners, fellow drivers, whatever term we still haven't figured out a word to give to our fandom, like, well, not fandom, but like you guys, I don't know. But are you guys interested in RVing or have you already gotten into the rv life share your stories with us in the comments below or come be a part of our live conversations over on stereo you can find us at taryn g and at bob neat and stereo is basically a live podcast but you can join in on the conversation so while we're talking about different topics mostly driving stories and driving related topics over there too 
you can actually submit voice clips and be a part of the conversation. So we have lots of fun over there and we hope you will join us. And if you or anyone you know has any crazy, interesting, weird, funny driving experiences and would like to come on the show, fill out the interest form on our website at drivewithuspodcast.com. And be sure to stay tuned until the end of this episode for a sneak peek of next week's episode. And if you didn't know, we have a Discord, so come hang with us over there and talk all things driving. Thanks for driving with us. And now, a sneak peek. I drove through what was a construction zone. But I did not see was that the speed limit was dropped 10 miles an hour. And so in my head, I'm obeying all the rules and being awesome. So this policeman waves at me and I wave back and keep driving because like, oh, have a nice day, you know. <laughs> and I see in my rear view mirror, it's like it's like cinematic. He looks at me. I keep going and he like double takes. So he like runs to his car, which was, you know, hilarious. And like jumps in it. So he pulls me over and he's like, why did you flee?